This is Father McConville continuing our discussion on uh, some aspects of the spiritual life, which I'm putting under the general title of the call to holiness as we continue our uh, look at the spiritual life. We'll talk about grace and virtue. As I mentioned, I'm kind of uh, taking, um, eh, it's not necessarily a novel approach, but maybe one that's not familiar to some people, starting with talking about uh, the human person with regard to our faculties and abilities, what makes uh, ours a rational soul, it, what similarities we possess with other creatures, and recognizing that in the uh, area of uh, morality that we see we've already got kind of a starting place. Uh, so we're going to go from there and start talking about these helps to living that life of Christ. So let's review a little bit. First, we talked about Christian morality, that it evaluates human actions. And uh, they're especially not just any old human actions, but uh, actions that are uniquely human, that is, that engage the, the mind and the will, the intellect and the will, and particularly how that uh, our, how our actions relate to our ultimate union, uh, the ultimate goal of our life, which is union with God, that God created us to know, to love, to serve him in this life, so as to be happy with him in the next, as the uh, old catechism says, and so we uh, do that uh, in our uh, service uh, and loving him, these things are really what morality begins to look at. So we recognize we've got uh, these capacities within us, these actions that help us, assist us in uh, living out that vocation we've been had. But we also recognize that we get some help, that reason is uh, what we have on board, our intellect, our ability to think things through, but divine revelation is also given to us to help sort through these things. And this is going to play an important part when we start talking about uh, the theological virtues. But we realize that we can only go so far with human reason in uh, understanding uh, who God is, what God intends for us. And so we need something more, and that's where divine revelation comes in to assist us. And of course, how our actions then correlate to that uh, to that union with him. And we talked about human freedom. The freedom doesn't just mean doing whatever we want. Uh, that's often what people think about. I'm free to do as I choose. Well, yeah, you certainly can choose, but uh, we recognize that we were created for a purpose. And so freely choosing to uh, do what furthers that purpose, that is what makes us grow closer in union with God. This is what gives us true freedom, freedom in the sense of that we're not encumbered, freedom in the sense that we're not uh, inhibited or uh, turned aside from what our true uh, good is. So we understood that about freedom. Then we also learned that original sin uh, wounds our true estimation of good and evil, that it, it, it sets up a weakness within us, a weakness not only of knowing, but also the weakness of desiring what is truly for our good. So as we uh, enter into our discussion to talk about grace and virtue, we acknowledge or we realize something pretty quickly. 
that God is calling us as a creature to a loving union with him who is a creator, entirely other, completely separate from us. We bear the divine image, that is, we have an intellect and a will, so in these respects, we uh, look like, if you will, look like God. We resemble him in those attributes. But, of course, we're finite, we're limited. And then you throw on top of all of this original sin, and it becomes even more obvious that trying to uh, gain this union with God, to, to achieve this ultimate goal, is beyond us. That we of our own power cannot achieve union with God, yet that is what God created us for. So the first thing to really come to terms with and to be comfortable with and to hopefully inflame our hearts and desires is that we cannot complete or do what it is God made us to complete or do without him. And as soon as we figure it out, as soon as we get that through our thick skulls, that we need God to live the life that God created us to have, then things begin to fall into place. So freedom doesn't just mean doing whatever we want. It means loving and choosing what is truly our good because that's what God made us to do. And that because of the wound of original sin, what is actually for our true good uh, gets a bit muddled and our desire to actually pursue what is truly for our good gets diverted. So we lose that freedom. We are inhibited. We are bound, fettered uh, by our sinfulness. And so we need help, help to uh, not only see correctly, see clearly what is truly for our good, but also help to assist us so that we don't uh, lose our way and go after the wrong things. And especially when times become difficult to persevere. So that's where grace and the virtues come. They assist us in overcoming the wounds of original sin. They assist us in uh, growing in that union, that grace and the virtues help us to not only know and to be, but also to do. And that's what uh, we need to uh, recognize as we consider what our spiritual life is about. What, why have a spiritual life? It's really because we need God if we're going to know God. We need God to assist us, need his, his help along the way. And so prayer, our spiritual life, the life of the Spirit, is a call for us <clears throat> to understand how we're put together where the work in each individual needs to take place and what's common to all of us in that struggle. And, and of course, where to go to find the help. So let's begin. We start with grace. What is it? Well, remember that original sin, as we talked about, wounds us, interferes with our, our accurate estimation of good and evil. So God doesn't leave us in that terrible uh, situation, left without any help, just trying to 
guests kind of shake the package and see what's inside of it. No, he gives us help. And there's two main ways in which he does this. One is what's called sanctifying grace, as far as in the, in the realm of grace. One is sanctifying grace. The other is what we call actual grace. Now, sanctifying grace, as the name says, sanctifies, it makes us holy. It's the grace that is grace in the sense that it's freely given. So when we say a gratuitous gift that God gives us, it's exactly what it is. It's gratuitous. It's freely given. It's not based on any merit on our part, that we don't have to do anything or pay any uh, price of admission for that, that grace, uh, other than, of course, we recognize the grace of baptism for us who have been uh, given that life of faith. But the Lord can also, uh, in his own way, uh, grant that grace to those who have a desire for him uh, under the certain circumstances. But let's leave those situations aside and deal with us who have been baptized. We receive that grace in baptism, that sanctifying grace that makes us participants, as I say here, in the Trinitarian life. That is, we enter into the life of the Most Holy Trinity itself. A loving union is able to be had because of this act of God's love. And so we're able to respond to it and all the rest of it. Sanctifying grace is, is sort of the, uh, the uh, environment in which the life of holiness is able to bloom and take shape. So sanctifying grace is a, it's, as long as we have it, because we know we can lose it through serious sin, but while we have it, it's meant to be something that's stable or habitual within us. It resides with us. It actually transforms us, makes us participants in God's Trinitarian life. There is a, there's an adding to, there's a, there's a, a lifting up, a perfecting of our nature as a result. And so it becomes like I say, as long as we have it and we don't drive God away because of our deliberate grave sin, uh, it becomes part of us. It's, it's a piece of the puzzle, uh, a part of the whole. Actual grace, on the other hand, um, is something that provides uh, specific uh, little promptings, little things to assist us, especially in times of difficulty, but at, at every moment we can uh, receive these little actual graces that assist us. And we'll see, uh, we'll talk about that in just a second. By talking about how sanctifying grace works. So sanctifying grace, as I say, establishes us in a relationship with God. It's uh, again, a freely given gift in which he shares himself with us. It's again, habitual, that is, it forms a part of us and transforms us. It's, it, we talk about sanctifying grace, giving us new life, and so it is. It's a new life in the Spirit. Sanctifying grace, as I said, is God's gift. We cannot supply it by ourselves. This is uh, part of the uh, conundrum, part of the, the great riddle of our existence is that God calls us to a relationship with him. This is why, why we were created, to know, love, and to serve him in this life. And uh, the, if we're going to do those things well, we need God to assist us. 
We cannot do it on our own. So the Lord's already sort of put into us, built into the whole equation, our dependence upon him. However, there's that uh, illusion of complete independence, that freedom, as I've talked about uh, just a little bit ago, uh, where we just say, I can do what I want. Well, yeah, we can do what we want, but that doesn't fulfill why we exist, why, what purpose God has made for us. So it is God's gift, and by necessity, we need to go to him in order to receive it. And it's through sanctifying grace that God dwells with us. It's our invitation that is God is he he has his initiative. He he's there, says, you know, let me in, and then it is for us to invite him in. Again, because of that freedom, that freedom we've been given. He's not gonna barge in, but rather is going to enter the house by invitation only. And in fact, we read in the very last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, chapter 3, verse 20, our Lord say, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. So here we have beautifully expressed this um, this. It, this dual thing, this on the one hand, the knocking on the door, this initiative that God has, he's knocking, and our invitation, we open and say, come in, Lord. And what's the result? I will eat with him and he with me. This idea of, of communion, you know, sharing a meal together, being one together. So uh, sanctifying grace then uh, is the this this indwelling of God that happens by our letting him in, prompted by his knocking on his, his initiative. And as I said, sanctifying grace gives us new life. It's transformative. It infuses into our, our soul, into the faculties of our soul, which we talked about in the first talk, uh, new powers. Not, not like we, can, we have x-ray vision or we can uh, run faster than a locomotive, but the sense that the, the ability to do things that the faculties we have currently cannot of themselves do. That'll make more sense here as we go along. But suffice it to say for here, sanctifying grace makes us a spiritual person. It transforms us. We don't live like dogs and cats and hedgehogs. That We live as human beings, which means we are still creatures, but we possess this divine image, which again we spoke about last time but it's a transformation, a divination. Now, by contrast, we have actual grace. And I like the analogy of wind in a sail. If you see a sailboat out on the lake uh, or one of those tall ships on the ocean uh, with the sails filling with the wind, it is that wind that propels the ship. The wind isn't part of the ship, but the ship needs it if it's going to get around. And so actual grace, I say, is a transient gift. That is, it's, it comes, it goes, uh, but it's there to uh, lead us and to guide us on our journey. As uh, St. Uh, uh, yeah, John in his gospel gives us the, uh, the story, the retelling of the, 
meeting between uh, our Lord and a fellow named Nicodemus. Uh, he, uh, our Lord tells Nicodemus about the Holy Spirit and says the Holy Spirit, just like the wind, you don't know where it comes from, you don't know where it's going, but you hear it, you feel it, you experience it, so it is. The Holy Spirit comes to us. Sometimes we don't know where or what the Holy Spirit's up to, but we receive the benefit of the Holy Spirit's presence. Like the wind in a sail, we move in our life, our spiritual life towards God. So actual grace uh, is not a habitual uh, reality. It's a, it's a passing thing, but it's the thing that keeps sort of puffing uh, us along on our journey. So what are virtues then? We talked about grace, we're also gonna talk about virtues. What is a virtue? Well, we say that they're habitual and stable perfections of the intellect and will. Well, they're also, they can be uh, stable uh, and habitual uh, ver uh, perfections also of, uh, of other parts of us uh, we can talk about, uh, but normally where does it reside? It's in our intellect and our will, our minds, our hearts, as we often say. And they govern our actions, order our passions, because see, that's part of it, ordering our passions. That's another place where ha uh, virtues work, is uh, what our desires are, what we choose to go after or choose to avoid, and guide our conduct according, once again, to reason and faith. Reason, uh, our ability to know and to th think things out. Faith, of course, divine revelation, again. So habitual, stable ways of doing things or ways of being. Really, I mean, the word habitual says it right there. It's a habit and virtues are good habits. That, it, that is that they're habits that perfect, habits that raise up, habits that make this movement towards God, this union with him uh, more, uh, makes it easier and more attainable in our lives. Now we mentioned here two different types of virtues that we talk about in the spiritual life. One of them is the theological virtues. There are three of those, which we'll talk about in detail. And they're habitual and stable uh, perfections that pertain to and are directed toward and provided by God. That's why they're called theological virtues. We'll talk about that in a moment is that they have to do with God in so many different ways. Human virtues, while they still uh, pertain to God, they're directed towards him anyways, they, um, they don't deal with him directly, but they deal with how we live our lives uh, in this world, how we uh, are oriented uh, with or toward or away from uh, the stuff in this world. So, and we'll see all this in a moment, but just to lay down the principle. So the theological virtues uh, assist us because they're about God and they deal with, with God and they're given to us by God. Human virtues uh, help are still directed towards God because we use these virtues to help us in living a good life, but they're about our good life, what goes on in our day-to-day -day existence and of course, we still need God's grace to uh, give us uh, that strengthening to be able to perform these virtues well, not just um, to be uh, that we can just kind of figure this out on our own, like 
uh, a good golf swing or playing a piano well. But let's get into more uh, in depth. Begin with the theological virtues. As I mentioned, there are three of them, and they uh, have God as their end, that is their purpose. The reason theological virtues exist is for God, that their, their purpose is to, is to order us uh, towards God. Their object or their subject matter is about God. So it's for God, about God, and from God, their source. So we need the theological virtues if we're going to have this relationship, this deep union with our Lord, and he is more than happy to give them to us. Um, they, they reside with us, unfortunately, like so many things, uh, we can lose them as well through our own stubbornness and uh, resistance to his grace. But nevertheless, uh, they, uh, they are meant to be, again, because they're virtues, habits. And as I say, there are three of them. Faith is uh, this new power in the intellect uh, whereby we accept revealed truths simply because God reveals them. Normally, we don't do that with anything. We want proof. We want, you know, show me. I'll believe it when I see it. Well, we won't believe it when we see it. We'll know it when we see it. But the case of faith, we acknowledge that God as God is goodness, is truth, is life. And so if God proposes something through, especially through sacred scripture or through the church's teaching, which is a reflection certainly on sacred scripture, but also on the, const, it's the constant teachings of our Lord and those who followed after him, uh, the apostles and their successors. Just because these things were given to us, we don't have that same sort of uh, empirical proof, can't go into a laboratory and demonstrate a trinity uh, or that uh, Christ rose on Easter Sunday uh, but God proposes these things for us, and through this virtue of faith, we are able to accept these things, to hold them as true, because God has revealed them to us. So that's really the bedrock of the spiritual life, uh, is to have faith. I mean, it's hard to have a relationship with someone we don't know. It's certainly difficult to have a relationship with somebody we don't know well, and uh, it's certainly difficult to have a relationship with someone we ignore. So faith, very important starting point in that relationship. Hope. This one is a very complicated one. As we can see, it's got three pieces to it uh, that we can look at. Again, it's a new power, but this time not in the intellect, not in our thinking, but in our willing and our desiring. It's a new power in the will that desires union with God. We want it. Something that we're, uh, we're eager for, we're anticipating. So there's a, a certain longing within us that hope sets up. If there were uh, absolutely no possibility for union with God, then our desire for him would be pointless. So that's the first thing is that hope says that union with God is a thing. It's something that exists, is real. And 
the second thing, not only is it real, not only is union with God possible, it is attainable. It's not just uh, out there, and if you're lucky, the chosen few. No, this union with God can be had, and hope gives us that firmness of purpose, saying not only uh, is it out there, but it is, it's out there for me. But then the third piece is difficult. The union is attainable, but it's also difficult. That we recognize everything we've been talking about at the beginning of this talk, in the last talk, about original sin and about our creaturehood uh, as opposed to God as creator and how we're called to a loving union with him, which is beyond our own natural capacity. We need God's grace to assist us. We recognize we're going to encounter difficulties. But those difficulties do not uh, discourage us as long as we keep the rest of it going. We know that union with God is what God wants with us. And second, that it is attainable because God wants it. So hope. And then finally, of course, charity, which simply put is the love of God. That that's what uh, we can. And when we talk about love, love can mean so many different things. It can be a sentiment. It can mean just I like something a lot. In this case, we're talking about embracing goodness. And so again, it is part of the will. We need the intellect with charity um, in order to, to have an object to understand and appreciate who it is we're loving. But as far as the love itself, this is the work of charity within our will, within our desire. We see good, we desire good, we want good to grow. This is charity. So these are the theological virtues. As I say, as we can, and as we can see, they have God as their end. It's about knowing God. It's about uh, having this desire within us to have union with God. And of course, it's all pursued because of our love of God. And so, uh, so it's all about how do we go about this, this loving union. So it's the subject matter of these virtues that as we uh, grow in faith, that means we're growing in our ability to say yes to what the Lord reveals to us as we grow in hope, where that desire within us is stronger and we're willing to face the difficulties that come along. And as the virtue of charity grows within us, that we not only have a, a more single-hearted devotion towards him, but also towards the things he loves, which of course include our brothers and sisters. So the whole idea that charity, love of God, love of neighbor. So those are the theological. Now the moral virtues, the hum, their human virtues. In this case, we talk about four of them as the uh, as the main uh, contenders in this arena, and they are uh, listed here in this wonderful little uh, name, the cardinal virtues. And cardinal, of course, we think about the birds or we think about the uh, the bishops, uh, the fellows in the big red uh, outfits. Well, that all the words are related, but they have to do with this idea, as I said, they're the hinges of a virtuous life. A hinge is what a door hangs on. Without the hinges, the door would fall off. So it is that uh, they're a cardinal virtue, anything that's considered cardinal, 
is important. It, everything else depends on it. So the principal human virtues, we call them cardinal because all the other virtues are grouped as pertaining to one of these four. And uh, this is what on the moral life uh, we depend. Remember now, these are different than theological virtues. Theological virtues are about God. And uh, in, in, in this case, they're not, they are, they have God as a purpose. The whole point of practicing the moral virtues is this loving union with God, but they deal with the world. How is it in the created world do I carry on? This makes sense as we go. We have here a nice little quote. To live well is nothing other than to love God with all one's heart, with all one's soul, and when, with all one's efforts. So there you go, charity. From this, it comes about that love is kept whole and uncorrupted through temperance. That is, we don't, we'll see, this is one of the four cardinal virtues. We're mentioning how the, each of the four cardinal virtues assists us. In this sense, it keeps us single-hearted, right? So temp, that's what kept whole and uncorrupted, temperance. No misfortune can disturb it. It's what fortitude is. Again, we'll talk about that. It obeys only God. This is justice, which uh, we'll talk about again as well, and is careful in discerning things so as not to be surprised by deceit or trickery. And this is prudence. So there you got the four of them listed for you right there in this quote. Uh, we have temperance, fortitude, justice, and prudence. These are the four more. Let's talk about each of them and what it is that they do for us. So prudence disposes reason. So this one deals with our thinking again. So we're back up in our head with prudence in, in the intellect. Disposes reason to discern in every circumstance our true good and to choose the right means for achieving it. Prudence guides the other virtues by pointing out their rule and measure. Okay, prudence in the intellect. We look at a situation, a course of action. Does this serve my true good? Is this part of what it means to live in a loving union with God? Uh, if so, great. If not, then let's avoid it. All right. So the, the whole point of prudence is that it helps us choose in circumstances, discerning what is our true good and how do I live it out? It's, it says it guides the other virtues by pointing out their rule and measure. That is, prudence is going to tell us where the other virtues um, need to be invoked. When do we need to use them? Or maybe when we need to back off a little bit. Sometimes, you know, uh, we can get a little overzealous uh, about stuff. And so as a result, prudence can also pull in the reins, can say, whoa, horsey, uh, not so fast. As a result, prudence is often called the queen of the virtues, uh, not only in terms of that sense of excellence as, a, as the queen is the, the head of the country, but also in the sense of uh, having that governing, uh, reigning in or, or uh, hurrying up if things are slowing down. So too much, too little, um, just right is what, what prudence is going to try to always seek. 
and prudence. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but just for now, let's just remember that prudence is associated with one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, particularly the gift of counsel, which counsel the virtue, there is a virtue of counsel, which just simply means if I don't know something or if I'm uncertain about something, uh, I'll go check with somebody who might know better than I do. That's what the gift of counsel uh, does for us from the Holy Spirit. But the human virtue of counsel just means that we acknowledge humbly we don't have all the answers and we're going to find people who do that can assist us in this, this uh, discerning uh, the true good and choosing the right means of achieving it. So that's justice. Uh, when we think of justice, when I think of law and order and courtrooms and things like that, well, certainly that's a piece of it, but that's not really what we talk about when we talk about the cardinal virtue of justice. Justice consists in the firm and constant will to give others their due. It's where the word duty comes from. means that we recognize we owe people a certain, uh, certain things. We owe them our respect. We owe them our attention. We maybe owe them some money uh, if there's a debt uh, that we've incurred or if we want to contribute to the good of society through taxes, whatever it is that we recognize that our relationships with others uh, establish, set up certain uh, expectations, obligations, duties. And so justice is that virtue that's firm, again, because remember, virtues are habitual and stable. So it's a firm and constant will. I always want to give people their due. And um, justice we can see is actually the beginning of uh, charity. That is, if I owe somebody something and I'm fulfilling that obligation, then I'm certainly showing my love for them because I'm fulfilling my basic obligations towards them. If I do more than that, great. And that's what we would be expected to do. But we gotta start somewhere and we start with taking care of our obligations. So justice towards God, uh, specifically we call it the virtue of religion. Uh, so we can, we can talk about citizenry, our relationship towards the state, uh, patriotism, for example. We can talk about our relationship in the family, talk about filial, uh, that is son or daughter, uh, love, piety, that is um, uh, how we treat our, the respect we owe our parents. Um, but justice towards God specifically, we call religion. And again, with regard to the gifts of the Holy Spirit, we see that justice is associated with the gift of piety. Again, piety, uh, showing our respect, uh, the duty, the reverence, the worship we owe God as our creator. Third of the cardinal virtues, the moral virtues, is fortitude. And as the, the name says, it assures firmness in difficulties and constancy in the pursuit of good. It is determination, it's courage, it's all of that stuff that faces difficulty. And uh, one, and if it's not adversity, if the difficulty isn't that there's something in the way, it's just maybe it's a long way. 
So constancy, just consistent uh, stick-to-itivism, uh, stick as my uh, mom used to call it. But that's what uh, we talk about there. Fortitude, strength, courage. Um, and it can reach even to the ability of possibly sacrificing one's own life for a just cause. There's a firmness. The firmness is I'm standing for this. I am not going to reject God pretend like I don't know him just so that I can avoid some difficulty. We see this displayed in the life of the martyrs throughout the history of the church. So there's a particular brand of fortitude uh, that we can see uh, that, that gift of martyrdom. And again, with the uh, gifts of the Holy Spirit, fortitude is associated with the gift of, well, in, in the original naming, it's associated with the Spirit's gift of fortitude. Uh, but I threw in courage just to, to give us that, um, because in other translations, fortitude is sometimes uh, referred to as courage. And that's temperance. And temperance is that virtue that moderates the attractions of pleasure, assures the mastery of the will over instincts, and provides balance. The use of creative goods, we have three things that um, that temperance is doing for us. And, and ultimately, as we see, it moderates. That's its uh, our ba biggest thing. And in moderating, it's providing balance. But also see this, it assures the mastery of the will. So again, it's in the will over our instincts. That is, given our natural inclinations as created beings, especially as sensitive beings, that is, we've got um, senses, smell, taste, touch, all the rest of them, and we've got the regular appetites that uh, all be living beings have and drives that motivate us. Um, these things, while they are a part of our created being, uh, they are not our master. Our master is ourselves, but ultimately in relationship with God. To know, to love, to serve him in this life, so as to be happy with him in the world to come, that this is a loving union. And so our instincts, these things that serve us in our survival, uh, in our earthly existence, don't necessarily serve us particularly well in our eternal survival. They might be fine for our mortality, but they don't, and even in our mortality, we can make a mess of them, but they're, But in our immortal life, this is where uh, temperance is going to uh, keep us on focus, that we have mastery over uh, the, of the will over our instincts. And again, provides balance in the use of created goods. We have to eat, but we don't have to pig out. We have to sleep, but we don't have to, we don't stay in bed for all, you know, for a week, things like that. And temperance is associated with the Spirit's gift of fear of the Lord. The, and we'll see this, we'll talk about the gift of fear of the Lord um, a little bit later, but the idea there is that we uh, are recognizing God's goodness, and so everything else has to be appraised uh, or valued in terms of that goodness. Everything else has to have its proper place. Um, not too much, not too little temperance. Make sure that we're always looking at things 
uh, in light of our eternal happiness union with God. So those are what we call the moral virtues or the cardinal virtues. And these are the things that, um, again, in the spiritual life are necessary for us to, uh, to live our lives uh, in a way that our human existence is moving us towards that intimate loving union. But that's not all. We also get some other help. So not only do we have theological virtues that help us in, in uh, establishing us firmly and habitually in that movement towards that loving union, not only do we have the moral virtues that help us in our day-to-day -day existence to uh, live our lives here on earth uh, in, uh, in that pursuit of an intimate union with God in the world to come, uh, and we can even have that intimate union with him in this life, of course, the saints, uh, we can look to them. But we also get these things called the gifts of the Holy Spirit that through the gift of baptism, the sacrament of baptism, strengthened the sacrament of confirmation. We speak about these seven gifts of the Holy Spirit. They are found, as we, can, as we see here, in the book of the prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament, where in one of the passages where Isaiah is speaking about this uh, son of man who is to come, it's a prophecy of the coming of Jesus, we, we, and we hear this particular prophecy, especially in Advent, uh, because it's one of the uh, expectancy prophecies that the Savior shall come. But we read in the prophet Isaiah, uh, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. So we hear that, uh, that phrase, uh, root of Jesse's stem. That's one of the O antiphons before Christmas. And a branch shall grow out of his roots, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, a spirit of wisdom and understanding, a spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. So uh, we get seven things mentioned, although fear of the Lord is mentioned twice. In other translations, we get uh, piety and the fear of the Lord. But anyways, that's where we find them. Isaiah chapter 11, verses 2 and 3. So let's talk about them. In this case, if you noticed uh, with the... Um, with the theological virtues and the moral virtues, a lot of the virtue, uh, a lot of the life of the virtues has to deal with the will, getting our desires lined up in the right way. I mean, faith is based in the intellect, prudence is based in the intellect, but all the rest of them somehow are assisting our will in keeping us on the right track towards God. Here, with the gifts of the Holy Spirit, it's the intellect that is the, the big winner of the day, that gets most of the benefit of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Four of them, the first four, in fact, wisdom. It, through wisdom, we learn to value and respond to the truths of our faith. That is, we can see, we understand what God is up to. So there's a wisdom, there's a sort of seeing behind getting into the mind of God. And so as we come to believe and to understand the truths of our faith, we understand what God is up to. A course like this uh, that I'm doing right now is an attempt to try to uh, instill a little bit of wisdom, impart a little wisdom 
um, by trying to lift the veil at least a little bit, or the corner of it anyway, that we can see what God is up to. So, through the gift, the Holy Spirit's gift of wisdom, we seek to value or we learn to value and respond to the truths of our faith. The second is understanding. Understanding is not only uh, do we value and respond to the truths of our faith, but understanding helps us to grasp more clearly the truths of our faith. So they, those two certainly work very much hand in hand, that as the, the, the more clear a notion I have, the more uh, crystal I can see these things, then the more I can respond and value them, right? It's the same thing by, you know, we can't love what we don't know. The more we know, the more we love, the more we value, uh, the more uh, we uh, appreciate the intricate workings of things. And I used to be fascinated with uh, uh, cuckoo clocks uh, when I was growing up because there's such really nifty things. I got a little older and I started really uh, was fascinated with pipe organs. I mean, I, st I play the organ, but it was more than just playing it. It was just knowing about all the little electrical and mechanical features that go into uh, making uh, music on a, on a pipe organ. It's fascinating stuff. And I tell you, by learning all of that, stuff that doesn't have anything to do with my fingers moving up and down on the keyboard, but it sure made me desire to want to play more. It really uh, fired up my, my love because I had a clearer understanding of what pipe organs are, how they're put together. And counsel we talked about before that the, uh, the, the um, uh, gift of, uh, of, or I'm sorry, gift, the virtue of Prudence uh, deals with this particular gift of the Holy Spirit. It gives us special guidance. It's a gift of the Holy Spirit through which we receive special guidance to seek good and avoid evil. So counsel again, it's to not only, um, not only again, because it's in the intellect, it's not in the will, it's not that we desire the good um, or, and uh, have an aversion to evil, but it's that guidance, it's helping us to truly appreciate what is for our good, truly to see evil as it is. The gift of counsel helps us sort these things out. And then the final gift that the intellect gets from the Holy Spirit is knowledge, so that we value and respond to what is spiritual in creation. So we can look at God's handiwork. We recognize that God uh, made the universe, that he made it for our good, and that he teaches us. In fact, in the, uh, the medieval uh, years of the uh, era of the church, uh, it was a very popular thing to do was to look at nature and to come up with uh, theological, with spiritual interpretations of naturally occurring phenomena, even animals, how certain animals behaved. Uh, the uh, church fathers in the times uh, saw a connection. For example, the pelican. Sometimes you'll see in church art, you'll see a pelican and say, what on earth? I mean, this bird with a gigantic bill, you know, I mean, it's almost comical. Why is this seen as uh, some sort of a, uh, you know, a religious symbol? It was because the, uh, the ancients looking at the pelican Notice that it kind of uh, looked like it was piercing its breast, 
that it was like stabbing itself in the chest. And if you look at a pelican when it's uh, when it's regurgitating food for its young, it sort of curves its head in, uh, tucks its head in, puts its bill close against its body, and food comes out. And the ancients looked at that and they thought it was actually, the mother pelican was actually piercing her breast so that the chicks could feed off her blood, um, which of course we don't, we know that's not the case, but that's what it appeared to look like. And so the ancients said, see, look at this, the pelican is just like our Lord in the Eucharist who gives us his body and blood. So the pelican nourishes her young with her very life's blood. And so, um, so here they see a spiritual connection to this natural phenomenon, how pelicans feed uh, their children. Now we got three of the gifts of the Holy Spirit that pertain specifically to the will, and we've seen how they uh, connect with the other uh, moral virtues, so we don't need to spend a lot of time on them, but just to, to acknowledge that connection. Of course, fortitude is associated with the virtue of fortitude, <laughs> courage, strength, that firm determination uh, to, uh, to go through what's difficult or what just have constancy if it's gonna take a long time so we have perseverance as well as courage and strength. And we have the gift of piety. Piety, again, it's a part of, uh, we call it uh, the virtue of religion uh, or, or the virtue of religion when it's directed towards God, we call piety because what does that flow from? Justice. We recognize that we owe God our praise, our worship, our love, our lives because he has created us. And so the gift of piety is that gift that inflames our heart with that consuming desire to love God with, and to serve him with all our being. And finally, fear of the Lord. Now, here, the fear of the Lord is not in the sense of terror and screaming and, you know, Jason and all, all this sorts of stuff, you know, Friday the 13th. No, it's not this horror movie stuff. Fear of the Lord means that it's a profound respect, a sense of awe and wonder. And it's associated with the virtue of temperance because temperance tells us how to use the things in this world uh, in their proper light and not to get too attracted to them, and certainly not to get attracted to things that are contrary to our good, things that are evil. So uh, the fear of the Lord means that we stand in wonder and awe of God, that he outshines anything else. And as a result, uh, we, in, in making use of this world's goods, even in the goods of relationships with others, even as something as intimate as marriage, we recognize that there's still something even greater, and this is our relationship with God. So we have this uh, fear of the Lord, this wonder and awe that tempers, that puts an edge on, uh, the proper edge on our relationship with creation. So we've gone through a lot of stuff today in this about almost an hour here, uh, but a very important a set of things to think about with regard to the fact that God has created us to be in a loving relationship with him and he sets us up to have to go to him in order for this to this loving relationship to take place. 
we need God by very definition, and so he helps us. But we also recognize that even with his help, we've got a little added disadvantage, and that's the wound that original sin has placed within us. So uh, we become even more keenly aware of our dependence upon God. God to reveal himself to us, and by revealing himself to us, allowing us to know him and to desire him and to want to pursue that relationship with him. However, like I say, we start looking around, we see a lot of other things that seem very attractive and very tasty and wonderful, and they're not God. And so he says, all right, if you let me in, you've, you've gotten a, a, a little sense of me and you want more, let me in and allow me to lead you. This is really where the spiritual life begins. It's that acknowledgement that we were created by God for God uh, to have a loving relationship with him, that we cannot attain that relationship on our own. And so we need him to assist us in those many, many, many different ways that he does that we looked at. Theological virtues, the moral virtues, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We also can speak of things like the fruits of the Holy Spirit, which like fruit, they show you the, the quality of the tree. So, the, so if we're living those gifts of the Holy Spirit, they bear fruit as well. Um, I'm not mentioning them here, but you can read them in the fifth chapter of Paul's letter to the Galatians. Uh, that's a good place to, to find those. Uh, but all of these things, nevertheless, assist us in that primary drive of the human being to know, to love, to serve God. In our next talk, then, we'll actually now start talking about spirituality. How do we go about, given the difficulties that we've been um, we've been handed, <laughs> that are a result of, of our humanity, uh, how do we go about using the gifts we've been given in the face of those difficulties and towards that loving union with God?